Hello, and welcome to the Marketing Meetup Podcast. Fear not, your ears do not deceive you. I am not Joe Glover. I'm Baz Richardson, the founder and creative director of Bravo Marketing. And if you're a regular listener, you will have heard Joe mention me, well, every episode, in fact, as I lovingly handcraft these podcasts myself. Now, this podcast is the live recording from the Marketing Meetup webinar with the incredible Margaret Malloy, the global CMO of Siegel & Gale, a brand strategy, design and experience firm with a sole focus on simplicity. Now, the reason Joe's asked me to introduce this podcast is because, well, (laughs) I'm not going to lie, I was blown away by Margaret. This is an absolute masterclass in brand clarity and brand simplicity. Now, as a creative director of over 20 years experience, I've worked on many strategic brand campaigns and achieving simplicity is it's incredibly difficult. Einstein himself said, genius is making complex ideas simple, not making simple ideas complex. So from achieving clarity of purpose, creating values to live by, upholding brand promises, and ultimately reducing customer friction, This is what Margaret conveys wonderfully. But Margaret doesn't just talk about the theory of branding. Margaret also talks about how some brands are putting these principles into real world practice during the coronavirus pandemic. So without further ado, I will hand over to Joe and the fabulous Margaret Malloy. Enjoy. Hello, Joe, delighted (laughs) to be with you and Thanks also to your wonderful sponsors. It's really a joy to see people sticking with the community in these challenging times. Sure, and, and that's actually a sentiment that um, Rand, uh, we, did, we had a webinar last week with Rand Fishkin, and he definitely sort of said a very similar thing. So I know that marketing leaders all over the uh, all over the world are really appreciative of that. And that Irish accent might have been a surprise to a few folks here. Uh, Margaret is based in New York, uh, but she is Irish and and very proud of it from everything that I've read at at least. So that's wicked. So to kick off with the first question, and I can see that there's already a couple coming in, which is awesome. Um, But we'll start off with a few for myself and then we'll, we'll go from there. So you've been working from home for a few weeks now. Just how's it been? How's how's the experience been? So on a personal level, it's it's quite a change. Like in London, today is a glorious day in New York, but we are homebound. I live in Manhattan, middle of the city. I have two teenage boys who are homeschooling and my husband is working from home. So it's a fascinating time. It's getting us all to develop new muscles and new tolerances, but all in all, we're just fine. On a professional level, I've observed that Seal and Gale is doing very well in this transition. Mm-hmm. And when I reflect on that, I, I, I believe there are a number of reasons. One, we have a very clear purpose. Mm-hmm. We're in the business of making it easy for our clients and colleagues to be successful. Mm-hmm. So that clarity of purpose has helped us. We also have very clear values that we recruit for and live by. And those values are smart, nice, and unstoppable. So when you have a clear purpose, when you have values, it really helps inform your behaviors. 
Now, stepping back from our own experience in terms of working at home to more generalized comments around working in a distributed environment, I've been thinking of a framework because for me, we need frameworks to provide a scaffolding for our thinking. And I think of this idea of an ace in flux, action, communication, and empathy. So beginning with empathy, really important in this environment to recognize that people are different and to challenge the assumptions around how people work. For example, not everyone is comfortable with a video conference in their living room. They have boundaries between work and home that are being challenged. So empathy is important. Communications, vitally important in a distributed workforce. And it might surprise you for me to say that I'm putting a premium today on written communications because good writing is good thinking. So everything we're doing, we have in a very clear codified brief. Other communication artifacts that I found intriguing as we work in a distributed way include emojis. So emojis let you express tone and tone is really difficult when you're remote. And the third thing I would say in terms of my ACE framework is action how we bring ourselves to that place of balancing empathy and action. One insight is the tools work really well. The video conferencing tools, the Slack tools are really quite powerful. Another dimension is I have a number of colleagues working in different time zones. So the ability to do asymmetric work is quite powerful, the follow the sun. So I would suggest that our productivity is quite strong at this time. That's fabulous. That's uh, wonderful. And, and has that been something that you've um, sort of acknowledged and created over the course of time? Or is that something that's been developed by Siegel and Gale as, 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 as a way to operate as a company? Is it I think culture. It's, so much of this is culture. Our culture around our client centricity and our quest for simplicity, which we'll touch on, I imagine, later, really helps inform our behaviors. And then in the context of my team in general, I lead our business development and marketing team. We sat back when this, cult, when this COVID came upon us and said, let's articulate a series of guiding principles that will inform our decisions and serve as a filter for us. So perhaps I will highlight a few. One guiding principle is internal first or as one of my colleagues expressed it, put on your own oxygen mask before you help the person beside you. <laughs> and that's about making sure we're really taking care of our colleagues, that we have processes, procedures, daily stand-ups that really deal with the internal component. Another guiding principle is embrace constraints. Mm -hmm. So we're in a constrained environment. Like you, we are identifying areas where we can be creative and build new muscle. So using video conferencing, experiencing asymmetric work, for example. Another guiding principle is simplify. Priorities change. So making sure that we simplify our work and our communications with each other. A fourth one is listen really hard. Listen to our clients to find out what they need. Listen to do better in new business opportunities as well. And, and perhaps another, and perhaps indeed the most important guiding principle that we've articulated is how to be useful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This guiding principle informs our communications with each other, with our clients, and with the community at large. And when we take these guiding principles, 
they help us decide how to communicate, what to communicate, when to communicate, and what to prioritize. That's incredible. Um, I feel like within three minutes, you've already articulated um, some absolute gold there. And I, I, you know, to go back to your point about empathy, I think that's one of the real buzzwords of the day, but uh, very appropriately so. Um, but to have these, this framework to operate in is, is, is quite a wonderful thing. Um, Joe, Joe, I'd also say, though, that I, I think it's worthwhile in addition to the guiding principles, to think about COVID not as one thing, but rather as a series of waves. Mm -hmm. So with this notion of a framework, we've articulated, and it's, it's a work in progress, four waves. The first wave I would label as the shock wave. Mm -hmm. Second wave is dislocation. Mm -hmm. Third is recovery, and the fourth is the new normal. And I believe there's a tendency in the market now to rush to characterizing our, our current environment as the new normal. I would submit to you that's not the case. And the framework of looking at these four stages helps again inform your behavior. So for example, in the shock phase, there's a lot more emphasis. You're dialing up the empathy, dialing back the action, dialing up the communications. In the and indeed the communications, the emphasis, the tone, the content of the communication has a heavy emphasis on empathy. Then, as we move into the current phase, which I would submit we're in probably in Europe and in Ireland, the dislocation phase. In that phase, leaders, our clients, members of the marketing meetup community are looking for solutions. So, therefore, if someone is in that mindset, your communications to them and your content is a more solutions-oriented. And that whole approach trickles down right through all the phases, from shock to relocation to recovery and, indeed, to new normal. Mm -hmm. That's really smart thinking um I, I think a lot of people have um sort of identified that these waves but not necessarily articulated how these principles can then flex over the course of time and, and be prioritized one after the other or or you know sort of dialed up or dialed down so that's that's really useful so thank you for that um i want to take a, a little step back because there'll be some folks who aren't necessarily familiar with your role in necessarily so obviously CMO roles vary a lot. I mean, is there specific aspects of yours which is unique or different? Or, you know, could you just explain what you actually get up to on a day-to-day -day basis? <laughs> <laughs> Certainly. So, so let me um, elaborate on Siegel & Gale as a backdrop. So as you mentioned at the outset, Siegel & Gale is one of the world's preeminent brand strategy, design, and experience consultancies. We work with clients to help build brands. We're part of the Omnicom group, and our work spans the entire brand process from designing the NBA logo to standing up Hewlett Packard Enterprises when that entity split from HP to, to myriad other wonderful brands around the world. And in our experience, clients come to us at inflection points. So a merger acquisition or a split the need to stand up a new company, give it a new identity, a new presence. They also come to us upon the arrival of a new CMO or CEO, and that executive's ambition for the brand is greater than its current state. And a third scenario, and quite common, is when a client wants to 
improve their customer brand experience. Mm-hmm. So given that context, those are the scenarios in which clients call on Siegel and Gale. My role as our chief marketing officer and that of my team is to make sure Siegel and Gale is discovered at those points. So often that means creating content that's thought leadership and orientation, hosting a lot of events around the world, and indeed responding to client inquiries. So that's the heart of the job. It's putting the Siegel and Gale brand in market in a way that's relevant to our client population and to our colleagues, of course. That's fascinating. And, and it, it strikes me that all these points of inflection, so a point of inflection could be defined as a merger acquisition, but then an arrival of a new CEO, CMO, um, these are points which appear as a great disruption for, for companies in general. So while we're seeing um, an example of um, a global pandemic being a, 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 an impetus for disruption, it also strikes me that you probably speak with a, a lot of people in a lot of uncertain times day to day as well. So do you recognize any kind of, obviously there's going to be some quite huge differences, but um, do you find any similarities in, in these inflection points where people are looking to change how they're perceived or see how their brand's going to be looked at differently uh, in today's scenario versus a more day-to-day scenario that, that you may usually handle? That's a very interesting inference, Joe. I haven't thought about it like that before. But I think what's important is that we anchor the discussion in what is brand? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because very very often that term can be misunderstood. Mm -hmm. So for me, I'm a simplifier. Mm -hmm. And I believe in the old-fashioned definition that brand is a promise kept. Maybe I'll tell you a story. You mentioned at the outset that I'm Irish. Mm -hmm. Well, I grew up very modestly in Ireland. And my father was a gentleman who cared a lot about reputation. Mm -hmm. Uh, He had a sixth grade education, but a man of great integrity. And I remember as a child growing up, he would repeatedly tell the story of his schoolmaster, Master Cox. Mm -hmm. And Master Cox, he said, would admonish the children for writing their names on the desks. Mm -hmm. Instead, he would say, you will be remembered by the deeds you do. And to me, that's a really interesting story because in my father's context, it was about, he would never use this term, building your personal brand. Mm -hmm. But it's also true of brands today and always. Mm -hmm. Today, even more so, to your question, brands will be remembered by their behaviors, how they behaved will inform their reputation. And how they behaved in this environment is going to be crucially important. So in an interesting way, it's giving brands a context to show their purpose. Mm -hmm. So we we work with many clients, and often the beginning of the engagement is helping to articulate a compelling purpose. Mm -hmm. But in this context, it's putting purpose to the test. forcing brand leaders to live that purpose and make the necessary sacrifices that sometimes are inherent in living purpose. Mm-hmm. Fabulous. And that, that's wonderful. So thank you. Um, so you speak regularly about the importance of simplicity in, in branding and, and you know, purpose uh, is an example of finding simple uh, element to hook everything else. But why do you think simple is better? 
So at Siegel and Gale, for the past 50 years, we believe simple is smart. Mm-hmm. It's the ethos upon which our firm was founded. And it is perhaps that North Star that informs all of us when we choose to work with the firm. And indeed, our clients' quest for simplicity is often the reason they choose Siegel and Gale as their branding partner. But in all of these situations, I think it's helpful to step back. Mm-hmm. Because Simplicity is often misunderstood. Some people believe it to be a very reductive concept. Others yet think it's about clarity. At Siegel and Gale, we see many dimensions to simplicity. Clarity, of course, ease of understanding, freshness in creating a customer experience that's fresh, Mm -hmm. uh, transparency, and utility being useful. So those are dimensions of simplicity. So for example, people talk to me about simplicity as just clarity. Well, frankly, if simplicity is just clarity, it runs the risk of being dull and boring. So you need need that freshness to create a remarkably clear and fresh customer experience. Mm-hmm. So that's a little bit of background. Your question is more pointed towards why. Mm-hmm. And we're also a very fact-based organization. So we have over the years done extensive research around simplicity, very specifically around simple customer experiences. Mm-hmm. And at a high level, what we have learned is that customers reward brands that deliver simple experiences. They reward them with their loyalty. Mm-hmm. They are more likely to recommend a brand that provides simpler experiences. They're also more willing to pay a price premium for brands that afford simple experiences. And finally, we have over the past decade embraced an interesting exercise of ranking the world's topless brands. We call it our world's simplest brand study. And we look at the top performers in that index and compare their stock market performance to their ranking in the index. And interestingly enough, the top 10 brands in the Simplicity Index consistently outperform the stock markets, which is an indication that perhaps Wall Street rewards simplicity too. For sure, absolutely. And, and so as a concept, I'm sold, but where can people look to simplify their branding? You know, is there like a checklist of items or is there a process people can go through? You know, there's a whole bunch of people listening right now. Um, You know, where should they start looking at themselves and their own brands? I'll offer a number of ideas and and refer people to SiegelandGale.com for more depth. Mm -hmm. The first idea I think begins with the mindset. It has to be intentional. Mm -hmm. You have to want to simplify. Second point, it has to come from the top down. Mm -hmm. Leaders have to embrace simplicity as part of their value system, reward behaviors that exhibit simplicity um, and embedded into everything they do. Very tactically, plain language is a great place to start. So often we have a tendency to be excessively verbose. Mm -hmm. There was a time in, in the era when using jargon projected knowledge. Mm -hmm. Well, this is the opposite. It's around using simple language. Another opportunity is presented by design. How can we use iconography? How can we use visuals to simplify? And of course, integral to all of this is understanding your customer's journey and identifying the points on that journey where you can remove friction. 
for me, a lot of these conversations come down to mindset. And if I look at the brands who are doing well on simplicity, firstly, they're very intentional about it. But secondly, they're positioning their companies, not just in the thinking of consumers, but in the doing. They're focused not merely on the buying experience, but how the customer experiences the product when they use it. So that's a meaningful distinction. They spend less time thinking about you know, winning an award uh, in the award shows and more time getting a referral in applications like Yelp. So it's really about thinking in a truly customer-centric way and using simplicity at every point where you can simplify the customer's interaction. Yeah. I'll leave you with a final thought. For me, as I reflect on simplicity and customer experience, it's about reducing the cognitive load on your user, your reader, anyone in your constituency to mm -hmm. interact with your brand. Mm -hmm. That's fab. And I, I think that goes back to that, uh, the point you make about empathy, that as marketers, you know, we so often want to place ourselves into the equation a little bit more than we're required. You know, we want to have the award-winning campaign or, or whatever it may be, but a very simple, concise, clear message is going to do the best job possible. You don't need to, you know, have all the frills and, and whatever it may be, you know, it needs to do the job. And it's not necessarily about being utilitarian. It's just about being effective. And, and, That's uh, right. Looking people through. And I think the genius of the simplifiers are the ones who know what to cut and what to retain. That's the genius. It's not easy. No, no. But when it's done well, it brings productivity instead of paralysis. It brings action. It brings joy instead of angst. Mm -hmm. The genius, the one who can really discern what matters to a customer, and that's why having a fact base is really important in discerning which language to use, which design treatments will have the most impact, and which stage on the customer journey to affect. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Fabulous. Okay, we've got a lot of questions, and we've got a lot of questions coming in as well. So I'm going to march through the list and, uh, and, and keep going. So um, how and is it even possible for an agency to prepare for a situation like what we find ourselves in today with... Um, the COVID uh, virus going around as it is in the world. Is, is it even possible to possibly plan for such a scenario? There is certainly no blueprint for a pandemic like the one we're experiencing. But I believe some of the points I touched on earlier, having a clear purpose, mm -hmm. having clarity around your values, mm -hmm. having a culture where people feel they're about something that's greater than just their individual performance. Mm -hmm. Those qualities will work for any company in terms of standing any um, shock that it will experience. And leadership, having leaders who really empathize with their colleagues, having communication systems that work are really profoundly useful. And when I say leadership, of course, there's the CEOs and the C-suite, but also everyone can be a leader. Mm. What's fascinating about this experience I'm observing at our own company and in the clients I speak with is the emergence of leaders, people stepping up 
and being what we would call at Siegel and Gale culture carriers. Mm -hmm. They're exhibiting the culture and they're serving as role models for others. Mm -hmm. Another aspect that's important is for CEOs and others in leadership position to have access to clients, be it direct access, of course, but also through platforms like LinkedIn. Using these platforms to communicate their message directly is vitally important with the market. And the messaging has to essentially balance showing the gratitude to the employees, Mm -hmm. showing business continuity, and thirdly, articulating what that company is doing, be it an agency or a brand, for the community. And we're seeing C-level leaders across the board use LinkedIn to exhibit those qualities. Mm-hmm. And, and just to pick up on something you just said at the end there, which was um, to say what they're going to be doing to help the community. Um, is that particularly important? So right now that feels like a very dislocation sort of stage mm-hmm. where it's saying, you know, people are looking for solutions. Um, but will that also be equally important in the uh, relocation and new normal phases? Absolutely. The actions may vary, but the sentiment is the same. Okay, brilliant. Fabulous. Um, so we've, we've touched upon it briefly there, but I do want to explicitly ask, um, in, your, in your opinion, what is the role of a leader um, and leadership and communication in times such as this? I think in times such as this, we all look to leaders for guidance. Mm-hmm. We look to leaders for empathy. Um, but what will be interesting after this crisis settles and we look back, I think, will be an exploration of leadership styles. Mm-hmm. So in recent years, laissez-faire leadership has been very much in vogue. Mm-hmm. And the traditional command and control approach hasn't been as popular at least in the literature and popular culture. I suspect there'll be something of an upheaval in that going forward. There's a demand for leaders who will be decisive, who will make decisions because speed, speed is of essence. Um, I think also brands can be leaders and we, we may get to that in a moment, but leaders who have the courage of their convictions, who are able to empathize with their colleagues, their employees, and also the larger ecosystem to create partnerships that may not have previously existed. Mm -hmm. It's also interesting when we reflect on our own lives, brands, and for that matter, corporations are more important, arguably, and have more muscle than, than sometimes government. So there is in this era, tremendous obligation and responsibility on brands and companies to show leadership. It's an opportunity, but it's also a responsibility, I believe. Mm-hmm. And actually, that's, that's one of the top questions here from James Sandbrook, which says, should brands who are sure in their positioning and tone of voice, uh, who are still doing well in this time, uh, use this as an opportunity to try new things? Or should they be potentially just, if it's working, should they just be carrying on? Well, I think it's always important to take the temperature of your environment. So I'm I'm looking now at many brands and I'm very impressed by the number of brands who are acting very appropriately in this environment. I, I put them into a number of camps, which may help James sort of articulate which company he's thinking about or which camp. The first one is taking care of employees. Mm-hmm. 
So I look at companies like Target in the US and other and others who are asking more of frontline workers. So they are doing things like improving wages and bonuses for employees. Mm-hmm. Second category is being useful. So there are a variety of ways in which companies are being useful. We see fashion and lifestyle brands like The Gap or Zara retooling their operations to create gowns for hospital workers. Mm -hmm. Or we see LVMH changing their fragrance plant to create sanitizer and make it available free to French hospitals. Um, In the being useful camp, we also see large manufacturers like GM and Ford realigning their production capabilities to create ventilators. Then if we, if we look at service providers, we're not in the product business, but in the service business, we see entities like Ireland's postal service on post redeploying postmen to check on the elderly in addition to delivering mail. Gorgeous activities around being useful. Another dimension is being inspiring. So Diageo, for example, with their Guinness ad, revisited that campaign entirely on March 17th, which for them is a huge day. It's the day of the St. Patrick's Day parades around the world. They came out with a wonderful ad that said, we will march again. So that's inspiring. So there's being useful in a very functional way. There's inspiring. There's taking care of employees. And also, frankly, there's donating. So I'm very inspired by the companies who are contributing either financial resources or other resources. Uh, JetBlue, for example, the U.S. carrier, has made flights available free for frontline workers. Mm -hmm. Um, Marriott Hotels, also similar programming. So when you're doing well, is a good time to do good. Absolutely. That's fabulous. Um, just the point of logistics here there are a number of questions coming through um there is a uh, a thumbs up feature in in the q a section so if you could uh, help us by surfacing the questions that you really really want answering uh, by using the thumbs up in the q a section that would be great because uh, we'll do our best to get through them all but um we do have a number of questions to get through so uh please uh, use that feature so um we've spoken about the brands that are doing potentially really well and put those into categories. Are you seeing any particular missteps at the moment um, with any brands? And not to pick on any one particular brand, but, um, you know, just in, in very general terms, what are the things that potentially are going wrong? I am seeing missteps and they usually occur when brands are being too opportunistic or too centered around themselves. So one large tech company launched a premium technology product during this era at a time when it was surrounded by people who were struggling with their livelihoods. So that felt very off in terms of tone and it lacked empathy. Mm -hmm. Um, Other brands are doing things like shouting about themselves. Mm -hmm. And that is just so off. One brand in Singapore, for example, took the sanitizer bottle and the brand name Dettol, a supplier of sanitizer, and switched out Dettol and put data. And it seemed just so opportunistic and so off in terms of where the climate is. So 
there is no blueprint. It's hard to get it right. But it does speak to the discussion earlier of if you know your purpose and if you articulate guiding principles, then those principles should serve as filters. Mm -hmm. So in my situation, if I articulated a principle of is it useful? arguably those two behaviors wouldn't have got through that filter <laughs> yeah i think uh, more than arguably potentially <laughs> for sure um and and on that theme is there a place for humor right now and, and that's a really difficult one because there isn't a blueprint and that potentially uh, you you could you know the world does need some positivity as well right now so where do you think we stand on that Yes, humor is always tricky. And I certainly don't pride myself in my ability to be humorous. Um, But I would say there's an opportunity for fun, maybe fun versus humor. So for example, West Elm, the furniture company, um, the team there experienced Zoom conference calls, much like we're having. And they decided to create fun backdrops that people could use to um, illuminate and and essentially have fun with their Zoom experience. So that's sort of fun versus humor because humor is difficult at the best of times. I saw some funny memes going around early in the process and at different stages, if we come back to the four-stage process, one needs to take the temperature of the market and see... um, where there's an opportunity for the different types of humor. Perhaps an anti-humor, but I believe a rather smart campaign was T-Mobile. So T-Mobile are famous for their April Fool's Day pranks. So they decided this year to stop with pranks and instead they launched something along the lines of give thanks, not pranks as a campaign Mm -hmm. and they made a donation they also donated for anyone quite a significant amount who would retweet that campaign so it's about creating entertainment without trying to be too humorous yeah yeah that's wonderful um yeah i I think we can all sort of empathize with that feeling of an an all moment you know where you know it, it feels like it's missed the mark and Granted, I think we've all got an appreciation that um, more or less everyone will be trying their best right now to make the best uh-huh. of the situation. But um, certainly it feels like in this situation that, that that would be a difficult balance to strike. So I love that uh-huh. there's a distinction between uh, fun and humour. Uh-huh. So there's one question which has uh, really risen to the top here and it may fall a little bit out of your uh, area of personal expertise so feel free to say defer it on uh, if need be but it comes from Jemima Wilcox and it says how could an individual look to strengthen their personal brand their personal brand at this time um, and indeed um, I'd probably add whether it's right to look to strengthen your personal brand right now or, or, or you know how you go about approaching that kind of scenario Yes, it's, it's a topic I talk about a lot, personal branding. Mm-hmm. I would submit some of the very same principles that I outlined in the beginning apply here. Mm-hmm. It's not, I'm going to assume the intention isn't to be opportunistic. It's to be yourself. So how do you show your best self in this environment is probably the question for us to think about. Um, c- come back to those principles of 
what do you want to be remembered for? It will depend on your context. Do you work in a company? Do you step up to address challenges in that company? Do you have an audience as you have, Joe, and using your platform to, to share good information? Are you a member of the community? How can you behave in a way that's building your neighborhood and supporting those in needs? It comes back to the deeds you do. Remember Master Cox from the beginning. And then you can always codify those in reflections afterwards. You can write a wonderful LinkedIn post about your reflections, but don't confuse putting messages in market with behaviors. Mm-hmm. Lead with the behaviors, and then the messages will have much more resonance. Sure, that's brilliant. Thank you. And um, on on the topic of of actions, and um, a lot of brands right now are doing stuff like changing their logos, you know, to promote social distancing and and all the things that we should be doing right now. Do you have any thoughts on this kind of behavior, and whether it's meaningful and and will make a difference? So that's the category that I call brands as disseminators of public service announcements. So trying to perpetuate the desired behavior of social distancing. I believe for the most part, the brands who are doing this are well-intentioned and they're trying to be creative. Mm -hmm. However, I think it's flawed. I think it lacks a strategic underpinning. Mm -hmm. So for example, one brand purchased a billboard in Times Square. Mm-hmm. And they affected their logo in such a way as it demonstrated social distancing. But for me, there was an awkward irony around that. Mm-hmm. You're buying outdoor in an environment where we're not supposed to go out. Mm-hmm. So that didn't quite hang together for me. Um, another brand did a similar thing, a very well-known brand. And I think what struck me about it wasn't the poor execution. It was from a design standpoint, executed well, it was the misallocation of resources. What is the opportunity cost? What could you be doing with the money that you're spending on that that has more impact in the community? Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example, Joe, of an alternative. So Nike. Nike decided with the same intention to spread the message that social distancing is desirable. They launched a social media campaign. Your your meetup may be familiar with this. And essentially, they were encouraging people to stay inside or play inside. So they launched that campaign on social media, and they had some of their very influential followers and influencers retweet that campaign. Mm -hmm. Much higher impact, much smarter in my view, all well-intentioned, but that execution was superior because it was useful. Yeah. Okay. And I I guess it it may play into, and this is more of an observation than a question, but, um, you know, there's almost a a feeling that brands feel like they have to engage and have to sort of say something. But I think in a lot of cases, if, you know, if they're not falling into the camps of, you know, taking care of their employees because they're absolutely fine or being useful or, or, you know, being inspiring. It's also fine to probably say nothing. I mean, I don't know whether that's the shared opinion. You know, do brands have to say anything, you know, or, or can we just be in a period right now which is okay, you know, to kind of just be people and, and sort of step back and help people on a very personal basis? I think there's wisdom to that. They certainly need to speak to their employees. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Oh, so yeah. That, that, that's an absolute. In terms of what you're saying to the market, it's a question of proportions. What is the proportion of communication versus action? Yeah. And if those proportions get off, then maybe you want to revisit the strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, relevance too. Your brand may have the ability to retool, to provide direct support to frontline workers. You may have the financial resources to be able to make donations, Mm -hmm. but also celebrating your employees. I submit to you, Joe, that in the not too distant future, our adoration of celebrities and so-called influencers will shift and we will suddenly start really appreciating frontline workers, the truck drivers, the shop assistants, the wonderful people in our hospitals. Those are the heroes. Our heroes are going to change. And and companies and brands are full of heroes who are doing tremendous work on behalf of clients. Those are the people who should be speaking for the brands right now, not least in their actions. Absolutely, 100%. And um... I don't know whether you've got the phrase key workers over there, um, but certainly over here. So my wife's a biomedical scientist as an example, um, you know, and she works for the National Health Service and she's being showered with uh, gifts and praise right now from all directions, uh, you know, because she feels like contributing to the effort, you know, to getting somewhere with it. So, uh, you know, I think they are truly becoming heroes uh, Mm -hmm. in so many ways and not that they weren't before, but at least they're now being acknowledged. Um, there's also a question here from Jen Smith, uh, which says, how do you differentiate your content and opinion? Uh, so how do you differentiate between your content and opinion rather than just adding to the noise during this time? It, it, obviously, it depends on your industry and your sector. Mm-hmm. I would offer some filters. Relevance. Mm-hmm. Is it relevant to and to whom? Mm-hmm. Is your content useful? Is it actionable? Um, is it backed up by fact? Mm-hmm. Is it a new idea? Or are you just contributing to the noise? Or are you framing an old issue in a new and fresh way? Mm-hmm. Perhaps this is a good point to remind ourselves of the framework from the beginning, the different stages in the COVID-19 crisis. And your content must map to the mindset of your audience at those stages. So if you have something incredibly useful, uh, a how-to piece, but you can't present that in an environment where people are in a shock stage because they're not of the mindset to receive it. However, when people perhaps are in the dislocation stage, they may be more open to that content. So being aware of context Mm -hmm. can be vitally important in forming the cadence of your content. Wonderful. Such a, a great way to think about it. It feels like you've figured this out <laughs> in many, many ways. <laughs> um, so we're seeing a lot of brands engage in new partnerships in the face of everything that's going on. Um, does anything in particular stand out in, in these partnerships that you've seen? I think that is one of the most exciting outcomes, unintended consequences of COVID-19, that brands are looking outside their own four walls. I'm particularly intrigued by these public-private partnerships. One example jumps out. Yesterday, CVS Health, major healthcare company and drugstore here in the United States, announced a partnership whereby they will work with the new Abbott test Mm -hmm. to provide testing 
facilities for more than a thousand people a day in the states of Rhode Island and in Georgia. Uh, wonder, wonderful partnership, really supporting government in new and creative ways. Another one that came out yesterday, American Express and Hilton Hotels are partnering with the owner communities of the, many of the Hilton properties to create lodgings for first-line workers. So these are partnerships that may never have been conceived of previously. Mm-hmm. And it's a perspective from when people open their minds to thinking differently. Mm-hmm. Great outcomes can happen. And often when they lose the shackles of selfishness yeah. and when they really embrace constraints, lots of the principles we talked at the outset, they mm-hmm. try to simplify, they embrace constraints, they try to be useful, they look outside themselves, mm-hmm. great things can happen. And my hope is that that will be an enduring legacy of this altogether rather negative experience absolutely it's really interesting um so a lot of the articles and advice that i'm reading right now is from thought leaders you know thought leaders as 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 they're known um is to double down on brand right now and uh spend the time investing in your own brand because people aren't buying and, and and stuff like that but as this conversation has progressed, then the more this advice seems a little bit odd. It looks, it feels a little bit inward facing. And I guess um, there's an odd balance here to be had, which is between people just doing genuine good and looking to get through a situation right now where we can all get to get get together and, and help the world be a better place. But then we're going to get these secondary brand benefits, which is, um, you know, people are going to think better of us. Um, I don't want to ask you, maybe you're comfortable answering that question, but um, feel free to, to, to get away from it if, if not. But um, yes, how, how do you sort of balance those things in, in your mind? You know, because I think people are acting... with pure intentions for the most part. I believe you're right. And I think it comes back to maybe that's how it should always be. Mm -hmm. So if we define brand as experiences, brand is the set, the summation of all the experiences your company delivers to customers, then these are sets of experiences. I think one of the challenges when people talk about doubling down on brand, they define brand way too narrowly. They define brand as words and pictures. They defined it as broadcasting messages. Instead, I would offer you that today, brand is no longer static. Brand is not merely words and pictures. Those are important elements of brands, but brand is about experience. And if that's how you're defining doubling down on brand, then absolutely, I agree with the thought leaders. But if it's about pontificating about yourself, then it's flawed. Mm -hmm. I will say, though, that it's challenging for marketing leaders right now to prioritize. Mm -hmm. And there is a temptation to spend all your budget on performance marketing, demand generation, etc., And that's flawed also, because with that, you miss the opportunity to essentially build your brand. Mm -hmm. So vitally important for 
brand leaders not to swing the pendulum too, too far and be so focused on lead generation at the expense of having a great brand and having a tremendous brand experience. Sure. And, and there's a question here from Tricia um, that actually sort of really ties into this, which is um, the full question is, I keep hearing that now is the time to divert from performance metrics to brand engagement. But what specifically uh, does brand engagement mean? And I, I guess I would take that one further and not ask you to go into the nuts and bolts, but certainly look at how you'd go to measure the effectiveness of, of these, these brand uh, metrics. So that's a long question and happy, yeah. to, do, happy, happy to have another conversation yeah. about that. But the premise to the question is sound, which is that we should measure. Yeah. Um, and, and there are ways to look at it. The obvious ones include social media engagement. Mm -hmm. The others include uh, commercial metrics, like purchase of your product, referral of your product, reduced cost of sale. And the thirds, of course, set of metrics are business outcomes. Mm -hmm. So it's sales, it's stock market performance improvements. But it's also important to recognize that we're in a strange time right now. So the data may be very skewed. Mm -hmm. So first look and see what's your baseline. So companies need to have a baseline brand metrics and then look at the outcome of changing any of their behaviors. So certainly social media is powerful for, for engagement, um, sentiment, brand, the traditional brand tracker metrics, but perhaps it might behoove a company to think about the questions they're asking. So are you aware of my brand? there might be an opportunity to do new studies to see how they're perceived in terms of their actions in a COVID-19 context. Fabulous. Thank you. So we're, we're coming up, I'm very conscious of time right now. So we're going to finish with some very um, quick last questions and, and we'll try to get through a few, a uh, few more questions from the community as well, um, but very short and sweet. So uh, we'll start with Phil, if that's okay. And he says, how can companies best enable their staff to live their purpose? First things first, have a clear purpose and make sure people understand it. We have worked with so many companies and done research where there is a purpose, but people don't know it. Mm -hmm. So is it a good purpose? Is it a purpose people can buy into? Is it well understood across the company? Then are there values articulated that exhibit how that purpose comes to life? So one of the best ways in, in the brevity of our time here is to show role models, highlight people who are living the purpose. We're in an era now where we will remember the stories. It's a storytelling era. It's a people era. So telling stories, highlighting purpose in action makes it very tangible for people. And I would offer that as a quick suggestion. That's wonderful. Really, really smart. Um, what do you think is top of mind for CMOs right now? <laughs> and that may not be a short question, but... <laughs> uh, I'll attempt to simplify. A caveat and say it depends on category. Yeah. So obviously in a growth category versus an industry that's struggling, it will vary. Mm -hmm. I, hope, I hope top of mind is supporting leadership in looking after employees. Mm -hmm. Another one is business continuity. Many CMOs have had significant growth targets and they have to revisit those targets. They may be up, they may be down. Third is brand. 
How will we be remembered after the crisis? What's the reputation? What do we want to be known for? And then the fourth is how to go from this dislocation phase to the recovery phase. Sometimes that involves changing the creatives on ad campaigns. Sometimes that involves visiting with a merger or acquisition that may or may not have been sensible at the beginning of the conversation. And finally, thinking about what is the new normal? What are the new behaviors we're learning now that will not go away? Those of us who were in professional context around 9-11 will remember it was a different world. Security checks were different at the airports. Security checks going into offices were different. So there is a new normal. We will never go back to 2019. And CMOs are thinking about what is the new normal, but that's phase four. They're not there yet. Um, we'll take two. We'll do two more questions, if okay. Um, so the first one is is from Claire, um, which says, "Does uh, applying simplicity um, apply to both B two B and B two C brands?" Uh, which presumably it does. And uh, what are the important differences when you're looking to simplify for the different categories? So I would refer you to some studies at SiegelandGale.com. Absolutely. Your premise, Claire, is spot on. In fact, B2B brands are among our top clients when it comes to simplicity because they recognize that they're often complex. Here's what I would say to you. People buy from people. So the buyers in B2B companies are humans too. There's an insight. So they too want to reduce the cognitive effort in purchasing from your company. They too want to navigate a product architecture that's easy. They too need clarity. They too need a little bit of that freshness and surprise I talked about. How you go about it will vary, but those principles and dimensions of simplicity absolutely apply to B2B. And they are some of my favorite opportunities to simplify. Fabulous, lovely. Um, so Margaret, you've given so much to us and I just want to bring it all the way back to the beginning where we were introducing you. And I want to ask you about your personal passion project, which is Wearing Irish. And I want to know what it is uh, and why you started it. And, you know, this word side hustle is so relevant these days. So I'm, I'm really interested. So very briefly, um, I, I go back to storytelling, actually. About four years ago, I discovered an untold story. Brands across Ireland are producing world-class fashion and accessories. Yet, few people outside Ireland could name an Irish fashion brand. So I created hashtag wearing Irish to change that. Fast forward to today, and it's something of a movement. We've hosted a variety of events in New York with the collaboration of some wonderful partners. There's a website. I would love if your followers and the community would follow Wearing Irish on Instagram and Twitter. Mm -hmm. And frankly, it's a passion project for me because it lets me use the gifts I have, the gift of access, the gift of the ability to give exposure to these brands And in a funny way, it seems very timely right now. Supporting small brands, supporting small business is something we should all be considering. And my lessons from wearing Irish, I think, will parlay well into that. 
that's wonderful it, um, I would absolutely encourage everyone to check it out. Um, we'll link it in the email afterwards as well. So uh, please do take the time. I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time. I think this has been absolutely illuminating in, in so many different ways. Um, it, throughout the course of the conversation, I realized uh, how you embody simplicity in, in a sense because of the clarity of your communication. Um, but clarity without being boring, um, very importantly. So, so uh, just thank you so much uh, for taking the time. I really appreciate it. And um, thank you to everyone for their questions too. We didn't get through them all, um, but you know there were some great questions there and, and hopefully we'll have the opportunity one day to kind of revisit. And, and if this conversation would like to continue, you can head to the Facebook group um, where there's a, over a thousand marketers to discuss everything uh, that's going on in, in, in webinars too so thank you so much margaret really appreciate your time um all i can say is i wish you a wonderful rest of the day and, and just to stay safe and, and look after yourself thank you joe and thank you to the community and congratulations on everything you've done in building a community it's something we all need at these times and thanks again to your sponsors and a big thanks to my team at siegel and gale who supported me and our clients in these challenging times. Absolutely. They've all been unreal. So thank you. Take care, everyone, and stay safe.